Okay, done. Charles done. Hard shot done. Wait, where did that come from? I um, I want to do this lyric, and and next week we'll do, and we're meeting Holy Week. Those people said we did it, and most people didn't have a problem, so holy work we're going to do. Holy work we're going to do it. For the next two weeks, I'm going to read um, poems from Dunn that are um, elegiac. They're they, they're they're concerned with death because we're heading into Easter. I'm going to try to find maybe T.S. Eliot's Ash Wednesday. I'm not sure something that's Easter. Maybe from Herbert. I, I don't know. I have to look. But but heading into Easter, I think it's appropriate to look at this because Good Friday is the passion we're asked to enter into this darkness that's a, um, so much a part of our own traditions. It's, it's asking us in some sense to slip into a nothingness, a darkness, and, and make that a part of our own lives, or a part of our own experience. Dunn has this beautiful poem on, the, um, on St. Lucy's Day. It's the nocturnal, it's the shortest day of the year. And it's about his experience of death. I, I don't want to go into it much, but just to say a couple of things. <clears throat> One is, <clears throat> remember, Lucia is, Lucia is light. We've already experienced her a number of times. Mary goes to Lucia. She goes to Beatrice, Beatrice to Virgil. So that light is instrumental in, in taking up um, the journey into a life of faith. Without that light, we can't proceed in that journey. That light is absolutely an essential part of it, okay? It's actually been with us all along, because I'm assuming, as most of you know, that one of the great things we've all received together is light from these poets. C.S. Lewis, Dante, Shakespeare. They give light to our minds, to our hearts. They help us to see better. Um, And remember... Crucial point, um, almost a point of crisis in the Purgatorio, a, a dangerous point. When Dante and Virgil come to the level of sloth, Dante has that dream of the siren. We talked about this. It's it's picking up the Odysseus, Homer material, the siren, and the power that she has over men. Um, it's the power, some, the power of something in woman that um, that man can't treat lightly. Dante has that dream, and you remember gradually she's transformed and becomes this beautiful thing. He cannot break away from that dream. And Virgil, this is so important, Virgil is not strong enough. His influence is not great enough. Reason is not capable of dealing with that. Reason is incapable. Lucia, that is a divine light, has to come to help Dante turn. And as I've suggested, I think that's Dante's treatment of idolatry. It's the way in which, by loving something too much or the wrong way in the world, we give it a power over us that we can't can't escape from, get free of on our own. Those of you who did the Odyssey, you remember, Odysseus is on Calypso, sorry, Circe's Island for one year. She brings out the animal, the lusting man. Calypso has him on her island for eight years. Of the nine years that he's gone, nine and a half years that he's gone, nine of them are under the power of a woman. In both instances, Hermes, a god, has to come to free him. He can't. He can't. That's Homer. That's not a Christian. 
That's Homer. So the power is tremendous. Um, um, Virgil can't wake up Dante on his own. Lucia has to come to him. He needs a divine help. It's too powerful. So <clears throat> there's that that element of the tradition behind this, St. Lucy being the shortest day. Some critics think that um, this is a poem in honor of one of his um, benefactors, a woman named Lucia or Lucy. Some think it's related even to his wife because his wife died shortly before this, and and even to a daughter whose name was um, Lucy. <clears throat> we don't know. What we do know is that he's speaking of this day, and here's the important thing, and you'll see this when you get into it. Um, if, if you love another person, most of us know that, if you love another person, and your love has reached a point where you actually feel yourself becoming one with that person, for that person to die has got to leave anybody who knows that kind of love with an awful feeling of spiritual emptiness. It's like yourself, if, if we're one with another, and that's not always the case, but if you're deeply one with another and that person is gone, it's like your own self is gone. So you slip into a, a feeling of spiritual <coughs> emptiness, nothingness. Okay? So when, just be aware of that. When Dunn describes this, his, the loss, he likens, he says, I'm re-begot of nothingness. You know, begetting means coming into life. He's re-begot out of life. That he enters this condition of nothingness that he almost has no words for. What he does as a poet is extraordinary. But here's this emptiness, okay? When he compares himself to other things like animals or plants, remember, they have purpose, they have means to do things. He puts himself below them. So what we're just, what we're, what Dunn is describing here, I think, approaches something along the lines of what we're meant to feel on Good Friday. Death of God, he's gone. You could imagine the disciples, the God that they loved, dead, gone. Now what? You know. So it's a, it's an appropriate poem in in some ways for this. Mm. And next week, if you look at that sheet, we'll do nocturnal today. Um, <clears throat> next week we'll do Good Friday. I'm writing westward. <clears throat> it's page two. Okay. <coughs> John Dunn's A Nocturnal Upon St. Lucy's Day being the shortest day. Um, Fred made a comment earlier today about the way in which each canticle in the Divine Comedy ends with Dante's returning to the stars. You know, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to the end of it. But notice the opening line here, "'Tis the year's midnight." And be aware that when the poem ends, we will return to that line again. Okay, that's all. Dunn's a nocturnal. Tis the year's midnight, and it is the day's Lucy's, who scarce seven hours herself unmasks. The sun is spent, and now his flasks send forth light squibs, no constant rays. The sun's going out, evening's approaching. The world's whole sap is sunk. The general bomb, the hydropic earth has drunk, wither as to the bed's feet, life is shrunk. Dead and interred, yet all these seem to laugh compared with me, who am 
their epitaph. Study me then, you who shall lovers be at the next world, that is, at the next spring. For I am every dead thing in whom love wrought new alchemy. For his art did express a quintessence even from nothingness, from dull privations and lean emptiness. He ruined me, and I am revigot of absence, darkness, death, things which are not. All others from all things draw all that's good, life, soul, form, spirit, whence they have been, whence they being have. I, by love's limbic, am the grave of all that's nothing. Off a flood have we two wept, and so drowned the whole world, us two. Oft did we grow to be two chaoses when we did show care to anything else, and often absences withdrew our souls and made us carcasses. When they were both alive, there were times when, instead of being completely one, which is a real theme in Dunn's love poetry, the lovers are always one and united with the universe. It's, it's just an amazing experience. <clears throat> but they weren't always. <clears throat> and they felt the effects of it. But I am by her death, which word wrongs her, of the first nothing, the elixir grown. Where I am man, that I were one, I needs must know. I should prefer, if I were any beast, some ends, some means, yea, plants, yea, stones detest, and love. All, all some properties invest. There's something in everything in life that's living. Um, all, all some properties invest. If I in ordinary nothing were, as a shadow, a light, and body must be here, but I am none. And you know that a shadow is insubstantial. There's nothing there. Shadow's nothing. He's worse than a shadow. A, sh a shadow, a light, and a body must be here, but I am none, nor will my sun renew. You lovers, for whose sake the lesser sun at this time to the goat is run to fetch new lust and give it all, enjoy your summer all, since she enjoys her long night's festival. Let me prepare towards her, and let me call this hour her vigil and her eve, since this, both the years and the days, deep midnight is. It's a wonderful sun. You, you who all have life, you lovers who still will lust, Enjoy it. Spring is coming. You know, enjoy your life. Be lustful. Go. Not me. He's lost something, and he will never be the same. So it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful theory. Um, okay. What to do with this? Quick, quick review as quickly as I can. Um couple things looking back that are important to carry forward. Remember that um, towards the end of the Purgatorio, um, Dante had his reckoning with Beatrice. Um, he was washed in the rivers of Lethe and washed in the rivers of Unoe. He lost all his memories of bad deeds and had all of his memories of good deeds restored. So he's now, he's ready to go on. That reckoning was important, and it's crucial to see it in its context. Remember when Dante and Virgil emerged from purgatory, he's crowned in mitre. He's whole. So we had to deal with this question, if he's whole, how could he be treated so badly, by, or seemingly badly, by Beatrice? And my suggestion was that every one of us 
Um, this is the only sense I can make of the scene. Beatrice is the one person who made Dante aware that there's something divine in our human nature. The tendency of the world is always to debase, to make us less than we are. <coughs> human. Even Aristotle said, um, if, we, if we make man only an animal, if we make him only human, <coughs> we do him the worst injustice because there's something in man that breathes above time. That was Aristotle. He knew. So did Plato. They both knew that there was something transcendent to the soul, even though we're in an animal category. We all have some sense that there's something divine. I think um, in some ways we glimpse something. How conscious we are when we're, when we're younger, I don't know. But um, we have them. The church calls them epiphanies that there's this shining forth, it's like a radiance, something hits us. And for Dante, was Beatrice. He loved her, he saw in her an image of the Trinity. So whatever other sins he had, he was not faithful to her. She takes him apart for that. She says, when I died, you should have loved me more, because I was more virtuous, um, more beautiful. But he didn't. He turned to the world. And remember, the whole action of the Purgatory is the struggle to leave that worldliness behind. Okay, So that's where we were. <clears throat> There's that line that I've underscored a number of times in the last couple of weeks. When Dante's, um, I think it's the level of the gluttonous, is, is talking with a poet, he rec- or the poet recalls that line that begins the La Vita Nuova, the long lyric that Dante wrote that's in the back of our work. The opening line, I think, is, Ladies who have the intelligence of love. To me, that's, I, I can't express how profound that is to me. Because in, in that line, and remember, he's talking about Beatrice largely. He sees in her an image of the Trinity. He knows from her, the way she acted, that there's a difference between the intellect and the way that we use it when it's rooted in love and the intellect when it's rooted in the natural virtues. Virgil is a good man. He's a virtuous man. There's nothing wrong with him at all. In earthly terms, he's virtuous. Um, so Aristotle's um, use of the word re- or healthy reason would be right reason. Because Aristotle knew that reason so often wrong. What we do with our minds is horrible. We the Self-justifying, the arguing, the finding fault, the tearing down, complaining. We use our minds to express a will that's not always good. That was not so for Virgil. He's a virtuous man. We, we could not have gotten Dante. Dante could not have gotten to the top of purgatory without him. That's how good it is. But we've talked about it. Virgil goes back. Why? Because to continue to go to God um, means... Requ- or requires the supernatural virtues, faith, hope, and charity. Because the natural virtues by themselves can't get us to heaven. Heaven's a supernatural condition. <coughs> so Dante's making a, a powerful statement in the action there. We keep using reason in, in a way that's not always good. For Dante to go on, that reason, that's why I tried to stress it as much as it did, if we don't love Virgil, Virgil with all our hearts to see what a good man is, I just don't think we're doing justice to the work. And yet what Dante's making clear is, as good as he is, we have to turn away. 
Because to go on means learning to use reason differently. And that's why Beatrice picks up and why she scolds him. So the, the, the rest of the action in the Paradiso will be, um, will be bringing faith and reason together again. But the reason that we will experience as we move forward is a reason infused with faith and a divine love. So Beatrice will be able to give explanations for things that Virgil never could have, because she's a Christ bearer. Remember, she's one with God. She's come to receive him to take him back to God. Virgil could have never done that. Okay? So part of the action that's hidden is we've got to learn to see that to continue the journey of faith requires putting this, stepping away from it. Remember, it's so funny. Dante turns, <laughs> his knees start shaking, Virgil's not there. So a lot is happening here, and, and I, we can read it literally and just miss it. We, I just think it's so important that we don't miss it. So <clears throat> they've entered the heavens, and remember, the whole aim of Purgatorio was to recover what was lost. Each level... At, with each act of penance, people, the, the penitents, were recovering their sight and better hearts. They were learning to see more truly, to love more truly. They were, they were recover, they're recovering what was lost. That is that wholeness that Adam and Eve had in the garden. Because when Adam and Eve lived in the garden before the fall, they were one with each other. There was no discord, there was no separation. Um, as Dante goes forward, um, he's remember he said, "I'm here to cure my blindness." They're there to recover what was lost. Um, that's why memory is so important. To to go back to that pre-fallen um, condition in Eden, except we know that because Christ enters the world, they're not just going to go back to the earthly kingdom Eden. They're going to go on. That's why the journey continues. Dante and Virgil go back to Eden. That's only the stage of something greater. They're going on. So after Christ comes into the world, we're not meant to just go back to Eden to recover that perfection. We're meant to have something greater that Christ brought into the world. For that to enter into Dante's life, he needs Beatrice, and she, she's his guide the rest of the way. Okay. Now let me just stop with that for a second. I want to... Um, I want to... I want to speak to one other thing, but any questions? I mean, we've done this, so I'm assuming we all we're entering we're entering a different world, and it, and it just cannot be understood purely in terms of our senses. We can say that in the remember the the, the heavens have a trinitarian structure too. There's um, there's there's everything um, from the sun down, from Venus down. What's called within the shadow of the earth or the shadow of the moon, because when the sun is behind it, the, the shadow will go out this far. There's the next stage here, and then there's the eternal realm. Um, in the first third, what Dante is showing us is deficiencies in virtues. When we get above the sun and above, we see examples of perfections of virtues. Okay, I want to come to this, because this is really important. But... In, in the shadow of the moon here, in this first stage of their journey, 
Um, we're in a world in which the senses still play a major role. When they leave this and go into the sun and beyond, they're entering what we could call a supersensory world. Dante's entering a realm that only the mystics know. So everything that Beatrice describes there is drawing them more and more closely into the realm of, a, of what the mystics experience. So, and remember, when they, when they first, I've read that several times now, when they first begin to ascend, the word that Dante uses is transhumanize. They, they rise with the speed of light, <clears throat> right? Faster than light. Physics can't explain it. Although, I sometimes wonder if, if modern physics doesn't assume some of this stuff because they're aware that there's more, there's more to the speed of light than what they can measure. Um, they're transhumanized. What the church fathers, the word the church fathers used to describe this condition was theosis. Um, remember I, I spelled it a couple of times, theosis, the gradual transformation of man into God. That he, we humans, remember Paul's word adoption, we will be children of God. We will take on a divine nature. So the final condition for us goes well past Eden. When Christ took on our bodies and returned to the Father in a body and invited us to follow him, the fact that we take the Eucharist, the fact that we take the Eucharist into ourselves means we begin to share in a divine life. <clears throat> so when they rise into the heavens, remember the first at the first planet, the moon, they enter the moon. We know according to physics that bodies can't occupy the same space. It's a rule of physics. That's in our world. Dante's making it clear over and over and over again that we're entering a different dimension. And it's important for us not to forget that as we read. Because the temptation is to read literally. They're just on a journey. It's, it's continuing the purgatorio. But he makes it so clear. We, we, have, we have to learn to see things differently. Okay. Remember, that's the ultimate source of this. The, <laughs> I love that principle. God the Father is not more or less than the Son of the, you know. Mm -hmm. All of the persons of the Trinity indwell in each other. They are perfectly one with each other without losing their nature, right? I mean, I think everybody sees that, yeah? Christ was doing something according to his nature, partly, when he indwelt in a body. But God could indwell in a body is stunning to us. But, I mean, that's why so many people reject it. It seems so absurd. Um, what Dante's doing is absolutely faithful to Scripture. I, I, I recall the passage in Scripture, remember when Christ, after the resurrection, he comes to visit the apostles in the upper room. How does he get into the room? Does he open the door and close it behind him? I mean, I think lots of people just read past that passage. You know, they don't give it a thought. The drama is good going to be a minute later when I think it isn't that where he has that meeting with Thomas and and Tom think about that Thomas doesn't believe him and Christ says put your fingers in here um, and he says Lord I do believe I think I think um, because he's got a body yet how did he get into that room so we, we I'm only emphasizing this because it's so important as we move forward
to to hold on to this thing that Dante's doing. He's he's taking us into a realm and, and doing two things at the same time. He's being faithful to the physical world as we know it, our nature, the order of the planets, the order of the stars. But he's also entering an, a dimension that for most of us is beyond us. Okay? But Bob, wouldn't that be the risen Christ? I mean, he said it. Oh, funny. No. No, go ahead. No, I, no I, I'm just thinking that, you know, Christ enters us and, and, you know, so that we, yeah, you know, that whole entering the body. Uh, yeah. And I think it's, uh, uh, it's uh, you know, I don't, I don't think we understand that. <coughs> just that, that the risen Christ Christ is in us, yeah, yeah. I like the indwelling. Boy, I hadn't, I hadn't, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I hadn't put it together, but I think you're absolutely right. Right on. Um, where's that going? Boy, that's such a good thought. You made me jump, and my mind had something, and I can't get it now. It is the risen Christ. Um, oh. Remember one of the one of the questions that I asked you when we finished the Purgatorio is where's Christ? Why Beatrice? He's saved. He's had this reckoning. Why isn't Christ there? Remember, and I, I suggested that that's not an accident. Dante will not see Christ as he is until he sees him everywhere. He's not just Jesus, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. The Protestants see nature as corrupted. The fundamentalists, at least does away with the logos. Nature's corrupt. We don't believe that. We believe that nature was not corrupt, it was wounded. It's got Christ's wounds, it's wounded. Um, the logos is everywhere. I mean, one of the reasons I've been reading all these lyrics, you know, to you, the wind hover or supernatural love, the four-year-old girl, is because these poets are writing these small lyrics showing that Christ is present Remember the wind hover, who hovers um, for a moment, or the young girl. So Dante will not see Christ until he sees him as he is. And the second person, Christ, the origins, the ultimate source of Christ, was the Son, the second person of the Trinity. He was the means of creation. That's from John. That's scriptural. Uh, the Word. He is the Word. That means Christ is present everywhere in creation. He's, there's a trace of him. The incarnation is present. So what we're going to experience as Dante and Beatrice go into the heavens is this intelligibility everywhere. And we have to ask, what's the source of this intelligibility? And Dante's already given us the answer in the opening. Remember, he, he says, the one, the, there's two things that distinguish everything in creation. One is its form. We've lost that notion. A, a leaf is different from a nut, a worm, an animal, a, you know, an elephant, a, a flower, a human. Each thing is distinct from every other thing by virtue of its form and its material properties. But you can't ever separate its form. Um, um, we're all humans. That's our nature. That's our species, our form. Our matter distinguishes us. And it's the combination of the two the material and the form that make us what we are. That's why when the souls lose their body and go into the heavens, they, they still carry the imprint of their bodies because it's, 
It's our bodies that individualize us. But you can't separate that from the, from the form. They're inseparable for us. Not so for a Platonist. Not so for a Veruas. Not so for people who believe when the body dies there is no soul. It's, you know, we believe that the two are integral. Absolutely integral. When we die, we pass from this world, but ultimately there will be a resurrection. The bodies will be returned. But the bodies that will be returned will be glorified. And what Dante is doing is giving us an image of that here, the glorified, the glory of the lights in heaven. I want to just take um, a minute with this because it was, it was something that was raised on Monday, and I maybe don't need to do it here, but I'm glad to because I think it's so important. You remember that I said before, I think one of the effects of the fall was this dichotomy. Subject object. We tend to objectify other people. Even when we love them, we objectify them. We make it an object, mostly for our own desires. One of the effects of the fall when we turn our love from God is to turn it towards ourselves. I want this. <laughs> or in contemporary terms, it's mine. It's mine. Trusting you've all seen or read the fellowship and know Gollum. Gollum. To me, he's probably the most perfect embodiment of that. It's mine. We tend to objectify people. Um, we don't love them. To love another person means to enter into that person's being. Now here, I want to just really be clear. Subject, ob object. I'm Robert. Suzanne. She's Suzanne, not me. Okay. So in one sense, it's natural to objectify her, she, me. We tend to, we, remember I've talked about this, we tend to objectify everything. We forget, that's why Hopkins' poetry was so good. In that um, Kingfisher's Catch Fire, go back and read it tonight, Kingfisher's Catch Fire. Hopkins makes clear that everything in nature has a self. A bird is a bird, but it still has a self. It doesn't have an intellectual self, a soul as we do, but it's a self. It's, it's that thing It has its own selfhood. Remember the poem, Kingfisher's Catch Fire, the, the rocks tumbling down? Everything had a voice. Everything was expressing itself because each thing has a self. We tend to objectify it and forget that each thing is a subject in its own right. It's more important for us, right, because we have rational souls. We can reflect on that. So we're different from everything else in creation. But we still have this tendency to objectify things. Is that clear? Love unifies us. So when we begin to overcome that um, dichotomy, we actually enter into the subject of another person and become one with that person. Now think about the risks of doing that and how, how, few, how, how many people don't want to take those risks today because to enter into the subject of another person is to enter into all those, that person's disorders, the sins. Who wants to deal with that? Here's the idolatry, the first six months of marriage. The next six months when you have to learn to deal with each other's sins, then how do things go? The honeymoon's over. Is everybody following me? So, so think about the risks and suffer crosses involved in entering into the self of another. We can continue to stay outside and objectify, or we can enter in. The whole call of marriage in the church is to become one flesh. Now, does that mean we stay in each other's disorders? I personally, I believe everything in Calvin's world keeps 
people there. Sacramentally, we're invited to enter into each other's world and get better. To work to put our sins, here's purgatory, to work to put our sins away and grow in virtue to become good. Now, if you're arrogant and you think you're already good and you don't need any help, then you're in that dichotomy again. Or if you're in a marriage and think everything's okay, I mean, the serious question is, are you looking at each other's sins? I mean, do you actually risk entering them? Because I'm assuming everybody knows how chaotic that is, how painful it is, how humiliating it can be. I hope I'm not just speaking for myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're not. <laughs> what? <laughs> Erase that if that is if that doesn't apply. <laughs> what? I said you're not. You're not the only one. Okay, you all know where this is going, yeah? That the end of purgatory, the the aim of purgatory was to help us to recover that wholeness with one another. And that and after that reckoning, that's what defines the relationship between Dante and Beatrice. When they enter into the heaven, we constantly see Beatrice already knowing what he's going to say before he does. And we get all these reflexive verbs, I am indwelling in you when you are indwelling in me. Because even though even though their individuality and their separateness is protected, they remain the same, they begin to indwell. They become one with another. So the movement from the earthly paradise towards God involves this constant indwelling. What we'll see shortly is nothing in nothing, nothing in the Paradiso is ever done without being absolutely gracious. When St. Thomas comes to Dante, he's full of graciousness. When he expresses his, um, when his love of the Franciscan order, because um, Thomas is a Dominican. It's it's nothing but compliments. If 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 the church gets, I mean, the heavenly powers get condemning, it's always of the world, because there are times when the earthly kingdom blushes to see what's going on with the corruptions of the church. You know, Dante continues to to condemn the Gelfs and Ghibellines and the corruptions of the church all the way along, but with respect to heaven. There is nothing that goes on that isn't expressed in perfect gratitude, graciousness. So, so the mode of knowing, so the mode of knowing is forgiveness. When the souls came to the end, this is so crucial. When the souls come to the end of purgatory, the debt is paid. They had, by the way, I just want to, they, they, it wasn't, remember that in Canto 7, it wasn't dismissed. Mercy and law have to go together. <coughs> there can be no mercy without the fulfillment of a law. We can't just ignore the law or treat it like it's nothing. When the debt is paid and they enter into, he- they enter into again, a new realm. Nothing will go on that doesn't go on in forgiveness. So the qualities, the, remember I said the, the, the mode of knowing in the inferno is um, irony. The mode of knowing in the purgatory is wonder. The mode of knowing in the paradiso is gratitude and forgiveness. The sins are wiped away. There's this great gratitude and joy. No more suffering. Um, everything's joyous. Would you repeat that, Bob? I mean, just say that again. 
The mode of knowing in purgatory is... The mode of knowing in the inferno is irony. <coughs> because remember, when Dante... Remember, thanks. In the inferno, remember, n- nobody knows that they don't know. They all think that they know. They all think that they have answers. It's all ironic because we know, because we stand outside of it. That is, Dante helps us to see our sins because he takes us outside of it so that we can see them. And the irony is that everybody, nobody in the Inferno knows that they don't know. They think they know and they don't. And it becomes clear every scene. They, they use their minds in disorder. This is part of that action. Remember, ladies who have the intelligence of love, we're moving away from that worldly intelligence, the way it traps us, to learn to use our minds in love. And the people in Inferno won't. They've made a choice, they use their minds, they're arrested in it, and they don't know that they don't know. When we move from the Inferno into the Purgatorio, we see people, what's there? They're recovering their sight. Remember, the proud have to work hard to put away their pride, to learn to see. The same thing at every level, the envy, the wrathful. People are recovering their sight through penance. They're learning humility, they're learning self-control to overcome their weaknesses. Um, I've said before, I really believe it, I think purgatory is an enemy of our church. We go to confession, we take Eucharist, we, 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 we carry our sins with us all the time. We're not supposed to be gloomy about it when we fall, when we commit our sins again. We're, we're asked to, pick, to not despair. Pick up and go on. Doesn't matter how bad they are. Um, why did I see this? I wanted to ask this. Whose sin was worse, David's or Peter's? David killed Bathsheba's husband, and he committed adultery. Not light sins. I'm trusting everybody knows. Whose sin was worse, Peter or David's? Peter's. Why? Direct rejection of God. God. Think about that. Did all the other disciples know Christ the way Peter did? You are the Christ. God, it just almost brings me to tears. You are the Christ. Christ to him. You didn't get that on your own. You got that through my Father, the Spirit. For Peter to betray, because he did. And but did Christ not know this man was, this is the one he chose to lead our church? It wasn't somebody with less sins, David's. There could not be a greater sin. He knew he knew Christ better than anybody. The, I mean, you can't get a betrayal worse than that. And Christ wanted that man to lead our church. Why? Because he knew the depths of sin far greater, I think, than even David would have. Um, Peter knew Christ was gone. So purgatory, sorry, purgatory is in the means of the church. It's, it's, it's here to, to keep us going in the face of our own weaknesses and our inclination to, to fall back. You know, to, um, so, the, so the mode of knowing in Inferno is, um, I'll get them after class, Mary Jane. The mode of knowing in the inferno is irony. The mode of knowing in purgatory is wonder. They're learning. They're learning to question again, to not act like they have all the answers. 
um, to know the joy of taking on a penance, to be glad. The mode of knowing in the Paradiso is um, gratitude and and um, forgiveness. Forgiveness, yeah. Because remember, the debt's paid now. Purgatory's over. The debt's paid. They're, the debt's paid. They're freed. So everything they do will will be done in a spirit of being forgiven and being grateful. A, a great joy, the joy that comes from it. We're going to see that again and again and again as Dante goes up to heaven. Okay, let me let me stop because I want to I want to look. Oh, one last thing. I need to do this. In the opening canto of the Pier, the Paradiso, Dante talks about God as the form giver. He's the source of all form. The source of all those forms is Christ. He's the form giver. He's the Word. He's the one who made everything. But there's this principle that the church fathers called bonum est diffusium sui. Diffusivum. Goodness is diffusive of itself. Goodness is diffusive of itself. There is nothing coming from God that isn't good, and there's nothing from humans who stay with God that doesn't give off goodness in its very self. So when we, when Father said the prayers this morning, and I tried to pick them up here in, in our prayers this morning, we're supposed to live out in action, in deed, um, what we receive from Christ. That goodness should be diffusive. It should come out of us. It's meant to be given away, to be good. There is nothing going on in the earth as we're moving up the heavens that isn't diffusive of goodness. It's everywhere. It's partly behind the joy that everybody knows. Okay? So those are some of the just basic principles that to, for us to keep um, with us as we go through... I don't want to. I don't want to go. Um, I don't want to go over the the first couple of candles except to um, page four four here. Remember, in the opening cantos, Dante's showing us deficiencies in virtues. Picarda and Constance, remember, were unfaithful in their vows. They broke their vows. But she says to him. Um, look at 404. I just want to call some of these things to mind. <clears throat> Remember, Dante is entering the, 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 the planet of the moon. 404. Um, as faint an image comes back to us of our own face, reflected in a smooth, transparent pane of glass or in a clear and tranquil pool whose shallow still remains in sight, so pale our pupils could as soon make out a pearl upon a milk-white brow. So there's a milky surface, a white surface of the moon, but set against it, it is something vague like a pearl standing out. So you can see these shapes vaguely. But remember, the likeness here at the level of the moon is to a pearl, because every every sphere has its own jewel. Okay. 
Such faces I saw there, eager to speak. I had made the opposite mistake to that which kindled love in one man for his pool. Remember, that was Narcissus who saw his reflection back in himself. Um, the moment I became aware of them, believing that they were reflected forms, I turned around to find out who they were. Um, on page 405, she, this is Picarda. She says, I was a virgin in the world. She entered the orders. More beautiful, I am Picarda. You see me here among those blessed, blessed of all is with it. She is blessed. She's not less blessed. She's perfect in her blessedness like everybody in the purgatory. But there's degrees of perfection. She's coming to help dunce, like somebody coming out of the cave into the light, not fully seeing Christ yet for what he is. So she's coming to show the degree of blessedness, of perfection, and I want to come back because this has to be underscored. Just, it's so important. What The principle at issue here is this. One of the signs of, of the love of God is the variety of his creation. He didn't make everything the same. It shows the plenitude of his love. That's one of the fundamental principles of the church fathers. One of the signs of the, the, the greatness of God's love was the variety, the diversity of creation. He didn't make everything the same. So in that, we see this great abundance of love, this form creating to make so many things with all this beauty and order. She has come to him to show the variety of the blessedness in heaven and the degrees of perfection. They're all perfectly happy. None of them lacks anything. But there's degrees of blessedness according to their own virtues and what was the graces given to them when they were in the world. Dante says, naturally, <laughs> he's, obviously he needs to learn some things, bottom of 405. Tell me, all your souls so happy, or do you yearn for a higher post in heaven? I hope everybody sees how ridiculous that is. In heaven, and you... If the, could you be in heaven with any trace of envy? No. Um, Picarda, 406. If we desired to be higher up, then our desires would not be in accord with his will who assigns us to this sphere. Go down the order of our rank from higher to height throughout this realm is pleasing to the realm as to that king who wills us to his will. There's that, in, that um, reflexive word, in willing himself in us. Remember I pointed out the line in the, the opening cantos of the Inferno? If you remember Francisco and Paola, she blames God and says, if only the king of the universe were my friend. That was the opening of the Inferno. This is the opening of the Paradiso. Dante knows exactly what he's doing. In both cases, it's a woman. In one case, she's blaming God. And the other, she's saying, I'm perfectly happy to do anything differently would be against his will. Everything in heaven is in harmony. Um, she continues, um, we get the story of the movement of God's justice in the world, you know, going back to the collapse of Troy, um, the defeat of Troy. Aeneas is going to um, Italy and meeting Evander the king and his son, um, um, his, this is God bless, boys are getting worse, just worse and worse. Um, Palace, page 422. Remember, Evander gave up his son and Pallas and took those Evander's armies to help Aeneas defeat the enemy. 
and Turnus, who is the villain in, in that play, kills Pallas. Dante takes that as the founding of Rome because that young boy spilled his blood for the eventual founding of Rome, what would be the universal city, the city in which all men could come together despite their race, their religious beliefs. Um, um, and then we, on um, page 425, now marvel what I shall add later, remember be, because um, just um, Justinian is describing the movement of, of the God's justice um, from its beginnings to the point where it, it goes on to Charlemagne actually. But he describes that moment when the when the temple is destroyed. Now marvel at what I this four twenty three, marvel at what I shall add. It sped with Titus to avenge the vengeance taken on the ancient sin. And it leaves Dante with this question. Um, if taking Christ's life life was just was a just vengeance how could punishing the Jews be a just vengeance? It was just, it should have been left alone. And remember that wonderful answer. Page 429. Is everybody clear? Mm -hmm. The Jews crucified Christ. It had to be just or it would have nullified his atonement. It wasn't a just act. And if it was a just act, then how could the Jews be punished? By destroying Jerusalem. So he's got this question. Um, 429. Now listen to my reasoning. Once joined with its first cause, this nature, as it had been first created, was pure and good. Adam and Eve were good. But by itself alone, by its own act, having abandoned truth in the true life out of God's holy garden, it was chaste. Then if the crucifixion can be judged as punishment of the nature assumed, Christ took on man's nature, no penalty could bite with greater justice. So when Christ, this had to be a just act or it would nullify the crucifixion. He took on our nature because it was fouled in sin. It was under sin, condemnation, could have been damned. He took it on to purify it, to cleanse it, to, to, to give satisfaction for a sin. So if you look at the nature assumed, Noah was more just. It was a nature in sin. Just as none could be judged as more unjust considering the person who endured it with whom that other nature was combined. If you look at the person who took on the nature, no person was more innocent. So no act was more unjust. That's the paradox of our faith. Yeah. Thus one event produced different effects. God and the Jews were both pleased by this one death. I hope you understand that God was pleased for the right reason, the Jews not. Okay, Because they didn't think Christ was God. So, and on page 431, we get the whole treatment of why God did what he did. Remember, he could have left man in sin, damned, or he could have completely excused him. He took a middle course because it asked more of him, and the greater the goodness, the greater the consequences of the fact. Um, and I just, just briefly to rehearse this again, because I, it, I mean, everybody knows this, but it's, it's so good to think about it. D Dante's line, 432. For God who gave himself gave even more so that mankind might raise itself again than if he simply had annulled the debt. If he left Adam and Eve in hell, it, it, it wouldn't have been a very merciful God, because first of all, we know Eve was tricked. God knows that too. Adam's sin was graver, we've said, because he openly 
disobeyed God. He do it. He did it knowingly. So there are extenuations for humans as there weren't for the fallen angels. The fallen angels defied God. They're damned. But so man damned himself, um, and there was no way to repay the sin because the sin was against God. The only way to repay it would be for a God to come on human form and take on our fallen nature. That's what Christ does. He could have forgiven it. The problem with that is you just forgive it and overlook it. I trust me, everybody knows what's going to happen. Green light. I mean, do it again. God shows a harder way. Um, and it says um, that, that man might rise himself again, so he simply and annul the death. Think about the difference. When you go into a Protestant church, there's no corpus on the cross. It's done. Right? It's done. It's over. I mean, the, the, the triumphant act of Christ is there. It's done. They're saved. I mean, you either believe you're saved or damned. For a Catholic, that corpus is there. Why? Because we're supposed to be participating in that cross every day of our lives. We pick up our burdens. We try to share them with others. We take on a cross. We suffer with them. So we are involved with Christ. He calls us to the cross. Pick up your cross. Follow me. So what Dante does in, in Canto 7 to me is extraordinary. Um, it, in one sense, it throws a light on the whole of the Commedia, what's behind it. One of the things that's upsetting, this is a personal note, I mean, this is Lent and I should give up browsing, complaining. <laughs> if, you look at, yeah, right, if you look at most high school curriculums or college curriculums, they, 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 they require Dante's Inferno. Kids read it and that's it. There's no way to understand the Inferno if you have not read the Paradiso. None. You wouldn't have a clue of what's going on. You understand this. Yeah. You understand what's missing, the forgiveness or the, or the, the working, not the penance. You're in hell, God. And that's, that's where so many kids are left going through their college or high school curriculum. It drives me nuts. Okay, I've just broken a Latin promise now I have to do a penance. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to keep complaining on that. I don't care how old I get. <laughs> Anyway, here, let's go on. Okay, let me stop. Any questions? We're gonna, I want to look at... Um... You know what it strikes me about what you're saying is that this is an ongoing process that's eternally happening now. It's not something that... It doesn't go to the past. It's, you're actively participating in it, which is like... You know, that world view, I think, is rather extraordinary, given what cosmology is saying. I mean, somehow... Um, objects are, you know, separated, or I, I don't know if I can explain this, but that this it, it taps into something about like I, uh, the mystery of Christ in the liturgy. You're participating in a, in this process. You're talking, but he has it down. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. shocked by what he understands. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. To to put, I, yeah, I'm glad you said that. Yes. And the, the other thing to keep in mind, exactly as you put it, um, is that the for a Catholic, for or high Protestant, I mean, in the rituals that the Protestant world, by and large, or the the 
the high Protestant world keeps it, the low Protestant doesn't. They look at rituals as a sign of the Antichrist. It's superstitious. If you take this seriously, that our call is to participate in the life of Christ with all the risks and dangers and ordeal or the burdens that that puts on us, the penance that we have to do. Um, we're, we're called to holiness, not respectability. And the reason I'm saying this is because we did Moby Dick, we did go down Moses, Faulkner, Melville, and you saw in their treatment of the Protestant North and Protestant South, this tendency to reduce, when you take away the sacraments, the tendency is to reduce Christianity to a moral code. It diminishes the intensity of the involvement because that's a pain to try to be holy. Maybe you guys don't find it difficult, but to, to be, to, to, to see the participation in terms of moving towards holiness. I mean, that's why we constantly have the saints, you know, where the priests constantly remind us. Um, so yes, it is a constant participation, a, a constant humiliation from our failures, a constant gladness, a hope. But that, I mean, you, you, you couldn't be more right. I mean, and, and Dante's showing us as we move from the earthly paradise into the heavens, we're entering a, the holy of the holies. We're moving into its, a world which is, which is presented completely different from the way that we look at the world. Remember, it's still the natural order. It's the order that we know as humans in our bodies. The moon, um, Jupiter, um, Mercury, Venus, you know, the sun, Mars. It's our order. The, the fixed stars that are there for, in Dante forever. It's the natural order, and yet in that natural order, more and more mysteries are going to be unfolded. And Dante's entering into them. And taking, him, taking us with him. That's why it drives me nuts that they would require the Inferno, sorry, I'm not going to let go. They would, <laughs> they would require the Inferno and stop. That is, stops right at the point of condemnation with no mystery. God. So, so maybe this may be the wrong time to ask this question, but so it's basically Dante saying that we, each of us individually, are born with some innate ability to re to receive and reflect God's love. And our our destiny is to achieve that, whatever it is. And it's going to be different than everyone else's. Yeah, I'm a, yes. So to wait, hold on. I'm a little bit just yes. I don't want to be too radical about that, but yes, okay. yeah. So we we shouldn't necessarily be looking at someone, whether it's Mary or Saint Augustine or Saint Thomas or whatever, and necessarily be thinking I want to be like them. Wow. As much as it's, I want to achieve whatever grace God has granted me the ability to achieve, and that's what I should be focused on. That's why I wanted to qualify it a minute ago. <laughs> Here, boy, that is so, it just takes my breath away because it's so difficult. You know my habit of, the mean is not an intellectual thing for me, so let me try to respond to that. First of all, I want to affirm part of what you said. One of the things that becomes so clear here, and I, that's where I was going when we, because I want to get from Picarda to Tunisia, who's our next major figure. 
because I love what she says. <laughs> she she had four husbands and more than two love affairs. I mean, and she's in the level of Venus appropriately. And her words are, "I forgive myself." I want to get there because I don't want to. On the surface, they're they can seem laughable, but I think they're supposed to be a source of joy. What we see in these early, in every one of these earthly things, the first stage are deficiencies in virtues. Picardo was deficient in fortitude. Um, Cuniza was deficient in um, temperance. She, she was a lustful person. She had four husbands and more than a couple lovers. Sordello, by the way, was one of the lovers. We met Sordello in pre, you know, in the, in the pre-purgatory at the bottom. So I should be shooting for Venus then, <laughs> as opposed to Mars or Jupiter or Saturn. <laughs> that exactly my sentiments, Tom. Oh. Is, is that where you were going? <laughs> See, I'm not the only. I know. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm glad the two. No, I don't know whether to put the two of you together. Or... <laughs> oh God. <laughs> can't do this. <laughs> it's too, it is too funny. <laughs> I cannot tell you how much I admire you guys. Cannot. I'm being honest too. Um, some of you. <laughs> Here, it, to, to support what Fred's saying, because it's, it's so true. If you look at each one of the... Let's take Ricarda here and... Um, she needs to hear, okay? And I think in our Puritan mindset, we tend to see things black-white. To me, it's an awful, awful quality of our culture. And it's in, it just is encouraged in us. One of the things that Dante's doing is he's helping us to see a deficiency, but it's important to remember, they're blessed. And she's described in terms of a pearl. It's a thing of beauty. There's nothing there to condemn. We shouldn't be looking down. She's happy. She's absolutely happy. She says, "My His will is my will." She's she's perfect in ha she's perfect in happiness. Her happiness may not be as deep as Saint Thomas's, but it's a perfect happiness. She's blessed. Um, she's likened to a pearl. Venus will be her. Cunis will be likened to a ruby. If we come out of these without seeing, there is this extraordinary glory in this person, and they're different. It's a sign of God's variety. And, and more importantly, the, the weakness that they had in the world becomes the source of their glory. Tunis in, in Venus. Picard is in the moon. Are they all... Are they all farther away from God? No, they're all one with him, but they're different. <coughs> Here, go back. Sorry. Remember the contrapasso against the sin. At every level of hell, we saw individual souls, but we saw contrapasso. The, the atmosphere of each level was a manifestation of the sin itself, the winds blowing the lustful about, Francisco and Paola. Every level, right? Country. Same in purgatory. The proud are carrying rocks, boulders. The envious have their eyes shut. The wrathful are in smoke. The atmosphere is their sin because the sins that we have affect, color the way we see our world. We don't see it in love. 
completely. We see it partially through sinful eyes. It colors it. If we happen to have a black-white impulse, how easy it is to condemn. How, how well do we nuance things? Same in the Paradiso. At every level, we're seeing something similar to the Contrapasso. The, the, the souls and the, and the sphere that they're in, in what Dante does with the sphere, the atmosphere, is reflecting that soul. Okay? Picard is not less happy than Cuniza, but she, through her, Dante showing a fundamental difference. And the, it seems to me one of the most important things to take away is at each level there's a glory in who they are, a genuine glory. We can't condemn them, we can't fault them, we can't take something away because of their sins, they're gone. What we see is a glory. I can't, how, how can it be any, any different? It, it's in heaven. But what we see in heaven is this great diversity. So, yes, we're different from Hindus and other religions. We believe that God made each soul, each person, an individual. So each person is going to be different. We also know that, that Mary is the source of grace. She, she brought Christ into the world. She brought God to us. And we also know that the saints tend to live Christ more fully. And here's the catch. I mean, it goes to what, um, what Fred's saying. Are, can you think of any two saints who so resemble each other that you could put them together as one person? My experience of the saints is they are, every one of them is absolutely different. Joan of Arc? Francis? Are you kidding? Kath, put Joan of Arc and Catherine. One's a warrior. She'd pick out a sword and go to war. Catherine's a mystic. So, here's the paradox, if I can answer it, Fred. Each soul is, and I'm, I want to go to a darker thing, or a harder thing for me, just to open it each soul is completely individual, individual, but we learn by imitation. We all do. That's we imitate. So it's important for us to have models, um, and we see Mary as a source of grace. We we open ourselves. We pray to the Holy Spirit to breathe into us, to bring His Spirit into us in a prayer. So. We're, hoping for his help. So while we're completely individual, we, we turn to others for help. There's a community around us. We're not alone. Remember, the ultimate source for us is indwelling. It's a trinity. We were meant to indwell with each other, to be one with each other. So both things. I would say it's important to hold both. I'm going to make it hard now because this is because I, I just look back on this. It makes me shudder sometimes. I'm going to speak personally for a second here if I can. I hope this is appropriate. There were times in our lives, Suzanne and I didn't grow up in the church. You know, I mean, you know how much this means to me or I wouldn't be here. And I can remember going through some struggles. <laughs> when we were married and, and were pregnant for the first time, Suzanne did nothing but read books on how to do it, which, I mean, that's one of these American things that drives me nuts. As if, as if you need a blueprint or a plan. I mean, it's a natural thing to do. You, when you're in trouble, you, you want to prepare. I'm less likely to do that. I can remember reaching a time when we had struggles with some of our kids. 
when I turned to other people, because I honestly did not know what to do, just did not know what to do, I look back on that and think, there was, there was nothing anybody said that really could have helped me, because what was true for them might not have been true for me. I, and I, let me bring this up so it's not just personal. My, our son, Jonathan, is a, was doing an interview for a job, and he's talked, I've talked with him a couple of times. And at some point, I've, I've said, I've got to back out. I've done the best I could to, to set out things. But at some point, I, I said it to him, and I know it myself. At some point, nobody can do this. It's a choice of your own, and it will involve you in a risk. There's no blueprints for exactly that reason. We, 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 we turn to Mary. We pray to, I do, pray to Mary, pray to Christ, the Spirit. I've got saints on my mind, in mind, that I'd look to more than others. Um, I think they're close. Well, you know, I turn to other saints. I, I turn to things. But there are moments in our lives, I don't know how to describe it any other way. There are times in our lives when we enter a mystery. Know how to do it. No, goddamn American how to do it book is going to help. Because we have to enter into it risking and trusting in God and in whatever he's given us. Because what might be true for Sam or Jeannie down the block, as wise as they are, may not be appropriate for us. When I think about, I mean, my response to your question is, it just is a reminder to me how important our rational powers are to understand and how important it is that we have the courage to enter into a mystery and make a decision. It might always go right. It may not be the way we want. Um, it sometimes won't. Does that mean we're bad? I don't believe so. And I, my, my, this is me, personally, God knows that better than any of them. Remember Hamlet's lines, um, rough hew them how we will. There's a providence in the fall of a sphero. Rough hew, we make these plans. He, he said that knowing God will work with what we do and bring a good out of it that we can't. Should that make us arrogant? No. <clears throat> I would think it would help us to be humble because if we enter into a mystery and we know we don't have the certain answer, but we've got to have the courage to do something, if we do it, I think, in humility, we've got a better chance of coming out of it right. It may not go the way we want. Does that mean we're bad? I don't think so. I, I don't think we're meant to presume on God. I think we're invited to trust Him, but we're also asked to have courage. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. So the the one of the strange things that I think Fred you're pointing out here is just that that each soul is completely individual, completely individual, and each one with like the contrapositive, each one is being manifested according to their temperament. I love that the the thought that you know Cuniza is in the planet of Venus. It's so appropriate, but she's there. Blessed, a glory. Ricard is at the level of the moon, a blessed condition. So that the, the weakness of, of these people, at, even if at some point they became a source of condemnation for the friends around them, you shouldn't be doing this. You, know, you shouldn't be marrying four men. You shouldn't be carrying on with these affairs. You know, all the, conda the condemnations are gone. But her... But the temper that she had, the intemperance, the given to her passions, are now transformed. 
and they're a source of beauty. I'm saying that because the black-white world tends to condemn something as if it's get it out, and then you're going to be this somehow pure. But what Dante shows us again and again and again, we, we can only be real according to the nature given to each one of us because it's different for each of us. So is there an element of predestination there? I don't know if you'd want to call it that. What I, I mean, I, you, since we, <laughs> what I would, what I would say. I mean, if you want to put it that, I, I don't want to go in the direction of Calvin because I don't believe. No, it. I, 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 I but, that's not what I meant. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm not sure about the word predestination, but the conditions of a nature that you've got a certain temperament, that you know, that's yours. Francis has got her own. That's given. I, I'm reluctant to call that predestined, yeah, but, I, but I'd call it... For obvious reasons, but... The, there's something given in the nature of each... So many of the modern ideologies want to act as if we have no nature. You know, you, you, you've got a temperament peculiar to yourself. So does she, so does Suzanne, so do I, each one of us. You know. Um, remember, in fact, we went, or I think we went through this last week. One of, I think it's Martel's, yeah, when we did Charles Martel. He said, the great fault of people... In fact, let's go there, because this is a review. I want to get on, because he's dealing exactly with these questions. Donnie's going to be tackling, tackling all these questions. Let's go, unless anybody's got pressing questions about I, I want to get to the book, because we, we're, about, we're about out of time. And Chef, is everybody okay, or any questions? Because I know that's a lot. I chased Linda away, did I? <laughs> no. Any questions? There's a lot here. A lot. Chapter 8. Dante is talking to Charles Martel, who was in, um, in the, um, the line of the emperors, and had Ghibellines and Guelphs on both sides of him. And they went to war. They were enemies. And um, Dante wants to know how somebody coming from a good seed can turn out so badly. How does a good parent produce a bad son or daughter? I mean, what happens? Um, it's, so it's this question of heredity. And, well, not predestination, but something given. Something given. A <clears throat> On 438, we don't have time to, I want to get to Cunisa because I love her, but 438, for nature in its circling stamps its seal on mortal wax, perfecting her fine art with no concern about man's lineage. God gives each, the, the remember, the opening canto, opening two cantos of the Paradiso, Dante explicitly deals with this form-giving property, that the rarity and density of the moon is not to be explained in terms of its material condition, rare or dead. It's its formal properties. Each person receives something different formally. So one basketball player is better than another. A person's a basketball player, not a celloist. Each of us is different. The question is, think about the mischief of this modern world. We have no nature. We can be whatever we want. How is that a help if we've got a nature to us and a disposition? What good are we doing anybody saying, be whatever you want? Anyway, Dante's asking, or Martel, Dante's asking Martel, how do you explain the fact that you, you've got 
opposing parties within the same family. And some people bad when they have good parents. Um, so he's, she uses that image of the seal on wax, and then on page 439, now you can see what was behind your back. The great joy you give me urges me now to wrap you in this corollary gift. Should natural disposition find itself not in accord with fortune, then it must fail as a seed is alien in alien soil must die. If we don't nurture those things, how many of us grow up aware, I tell this to our kids because I'm so, I mean, I didn't know it when I was younger, but I, I've said it, I know I've said it to Jonathan and Hans a lot. Each child's different. You, you, you've got to learn to see the differences if you're going to help them be what they're going to be. How, how many fathers who love basketball, who have three sons, want to make them all basketball players? And what will happen with that? If men on earth were to pay greater heed to the foundation nature has laid down and built on that, they would build better men. But those men bent to wear the sword, you twist into priesthood. Some men are made to be warriors. They're fighters. You want to make them priests because you're holy or, you know, whatever. And you make a king out of a man whose calling was to preach. Somebody who's temperamentally more inclined to be a preacher and you want him to be a ruler. You find yourself on roads not meant for you. How many parents, how many of us, God, I wish this were more common knowledge. You know, growing up, just to be aware, how could it, the Catholic Church is the only institution that could do this because it's the only one that believes in natural law. And how many Catholics have a clue about what natural law is today? Zip! If, if when we were younger, we were more responsive to our kids, were attentive to how they're different, we still want all of our kids to be virtuous. That means, I think, being tough. You just have to say yes, no. You, you, know, you, want, you want all your kids to be virtuous. You want them to be good. But how, how aware are we of proclivities or temperaments or inclinations or loves or, you know, um, a bird leaves the nest in a week. Children leave the nest at 18 because it takes so long to develop reason and so long to discover who you really are. Cuniza 441. He comes to Venus now, he writes, and, and Beatrice is more beautiful. Um, Cuniza, page 441. But he, he and I were born from the same root. She's talking about her family. Cuniza was my name, and I shine here, for I was overcome by this star's light. Overcome? That's an understatement. Four husbands and... <laughs> but here, but gladly I myself, there's that reflexive inning, I myself forgiven me what caused my fate, it grieves me not at all, which might seem strange indeed to earthly minds. This precious and resplendent jewel that shines here closest to me in our heaven is left behind great fame. That's Fouquet. Um, going over 442. The other joy which he had just described as something precious now appeared to me like an exquisite ruby struck, um, struck by sun. The, the, here again, you can't look at her without seeing the beauty of a ruby. She's a glory. 
whatever her sins were, you know, we're past purgatory. We have now entered blessedness. It's just so even where there's some Picarda was aware that she did some she doesn't carry any guilt. There's no shame. In in uh, Cunisa, there's no shame, there's no guilt. She's aware that she was given to her passions. But the beauty what the beauty of this I like is that each soul is different. But the very weakness that was the source of their gravest faults is here turned to a glory. It's a beautiful sense of God's goodness working with our weaknesses. 443, God can see all in your sight, sees in him. The, 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 the Italian is in himming himself. I said, O Holy Spirit, so no thought of mine can hide itself from your true sight. Fouquet already sees into Dante before he... Because God, God is in Godding Himself in the soul, so it's it's like goodness diffusing itself, radiating back and forth. They're completely distinct, completely unique, and absolutely one. There's nothing but graciousness in everybody's actions. Um, why does it leave my longing unfulfilled? I would not wait for you to ask of me, were I to in you, as you now in me. Isn't that lovely? I mean, aren't there times when you're together with somebody and you feel that somebody has sort of entered you and you, or you've entered that you know you're one with or, you know, we have, they may be rare moments, but still. When your wife finishes your sentences for you. Four forty four. Um, she's describing the sins of others, but we do not repent. We smile instead, not at the sin. This does not come to mind, but at the power that orders and provides. From here we gaze upon that art which works with such effective love. We see the good by which the world below returns above. But now that I may fully satisfy all of your wishes born within this sphere, let me proceed. It is your wish to know who this one is within the luminance you see in all of its splendor next to me. Um, the, the, um, the whole spirit of the people in Venus uh, is to please. Um, It's to give pleasure. Um, 441, where is the light of that still unknown soul out of the depths from which it sang now answered like one whose joy is giving joyously. Um, they want to give pleasure. I love it because they're doing what was their sin as now exists in a state lacking sin, but all the goodness that was there is now perfected. So in the level of Venus, the soul, they, the souls reach out. They want to please. They want them to feel a pleasure. They want Dante to feel a pleasure. Is everybody following? So, so I'm, I'm having a bit of a problem with that. <clears throat> go ahead. Because if, if it's a weakness that you have... Had. Had. Okay, well, <clears throat> I'm still here on the earth weakness that I have right? and if I am supposed to try and 
move away from that. Perfect it. Here. Mm-hmm. How? I'm. I'm sorry. I'm having a little trouble with that because if it's something that uh, is a sin, and I should try and stop doing that, but then it is that sin or that weakness is used. It is in is in heaven the thing that is glorified. I'm. Here, here, let me. Yeah, let me. Glad you asked it. Um, is the. Um, are the origins of that sin, that weakness in you, or any weakness in me, is it evil? Is it inherently bad? It, are the origins? Mm-hmm. Probably not. I would think not. Not probably. It's just, it's just that. Hold on. Let me go back because this you is. Have a proclivity to here, do that, and you go here, ahead and do it. Here, to yeah, the no, here we all know that. The the the. I mean, you if you're if the. There, remember, the three lower sins are the disposition to evil you, because you want evil to come to another person. But it's not because of some inherent evil in you, because there is none. The Protestant believes that. There's this inherent evil. That's Manichaean. If you start believing that it's inherent, then every sin's going to be. We know that the origins of every sin is a good. God made all souls good. We went through this with Dante. Right. The source of evil in us is, is love. That's Dante. That's Virgil. Because you love the wrong thing or you love the evil to come to a person. Let me just take lust. Okay? Mm-hmm. Or eating. I mean, those are the upper... Because you're, the sin is directed towards a good. It's that you, you, you give it an excessive attachment to it and it becomes a bad. So if I can pick up your... Because you, the question's a really good one because it's a practical one. Let, let's say your sin is lust. It's, it's cunises. It's, um, it's lust. Um, the Catholic understanding is um, that sin isn't inherently evil. It's not inherently evil. The motive of your actions is a good. The sin comes in because that love is excessive. Mm-hmm. The Protestant world has made it black-white. That's why I keep going back to that. It's not. You, when, you, when, you, when you want drugs, you go to them because of, of some inherent good in them. The problem is you get fixed on it and um, alcohol is not evil. The whole Protestant world, don't drink. Don't, you know. The answer to that is drinking's not evil. Wine is not bad. Wine is good. The problem becomes when you love it too much and you, you lose amount, a certain degree of self-control. So when you recognize your sin, we're in purgatory. When you recognize your sin, what do you do with it? The answer to your lust is to practice abstinence, a, um, a chastity. I mean, try to cultivate that in yourself. Easy? <laughs> look at all. Look at. I mean, take seriously what's going on in purgatory. It's so clear that none of none of this is ever easy. Um, you'll get it in snapper. No, I mean this is Tom's remark. It's ongoing, constantly, but. Having said that, if we allow that, because I'm assuming most of us know that from ourselves, if lust is a problem and you, you try to practice restraint to get better at it, even if you fail, you still work on it. What Dante's showing us, if he's showing us anything, is that um, that lust, let's say sexual or, or um, too great an appetite for food or whatever it is, lust, um, 
that when you make the efforts of, of uh, restraining yourself, when you do, that you're entering into that goodness, that love of another that takes a sexual form, is beginning to, to participate in a glory. Mm. When, when our life is over in purgatory, is that thing, that love of another that took the form of lust. Lust just means an excessive desire for sexual pleasure or gluttony, an excessive desire for food. But in each one of those cases, the weakness that we experienced was from a good. Gradually take that weakness away. What's there in that good? Greater and greater glory. If it's black-white, it's, it's awful to begin with. You know, That's not the Catholic tradition. It's not our understanding of things. So what we're seeing in, in paradise, remember, is the, the debt's been paid. That's why I said earlier. We're, we're beyond. We've entered it. They all have memories. She has memories of, you know. So does Picarda. She knows. But there's no sense of guilt, no shame. And what we see, just the way we did in the Inferno, is this glory, a pearl, a ruby, the beauty, the graciousness. And what's interesting, if you look at the realms, each realm carries that contrapasso element. When you, when you go back over, read the, the, this canto again with Cuniza and, and Fouquet, you'll see they want to give pleasure to another, and it gives them a pleasure to do that. Is that an accident? No. It's, it's an exact it's description of what somebody whose sin was lust would want to do when the sin is purged, because there's a, there's a great glory in it. What was behind it originally was a good you know, this wanting to take pleasure sexually. I myself don't think Thomas was given to that. When we get to Thomas, we're going to see a different thing. But here with Cuniza, we're, you know, we're dealing with the Venus and intemperance. And so does that explain it? Yes. Thank you. I think the way to, I mean, I think we, we get into such black white. If mm-hmm. when we commit a sin, it's black. But if you keep, remember the, the distinction between the lower sins, pride, envy, wrath, you want evil to come to somebody. That's a different kind of sin. Those are those are spiritual. The, the the other sins involving a good have as their source. And remember, the source of all of them is love. There is no inherent evil according to God made nothing evil. Pride is letting our desires for us, our the self-importance we give ourselves make us do other things with other people. Just want harm to come to them. Or in anger to hurt them instead of. So love is there always. There's a good, always, always. There's nothing inherently bad. Um, in pride, you start with a good, so that you make yourself too important. With avarice, gluttony, and lust, you you start with the same good. It's love, um, and you love a good. Food, sex, things are good. We just love them the wrong way. We make them too important. But I'm trusting that when each of us, any of us, does penance, when we struggle to do away with them, that there's some good forming, perfecting that good that's the source of it, let's say for sex or things or food. So that what's happening is leading to what we're seeing in (coughs) heaven when the soul is perfected and it's great. It goes back to what... Fred was talking about a while ago. You know, 
that each soul is completely different. The inclinations are different. Each one of us, you know, you and Bruce are different. Um, each one of you have your own inclinations. Each one of you have your own has your own weaknesses. Um, but they're an expression of something peculiar to each one of you. And each one of you struggles, I'm assuming, with it, and, you know. And hopefully all of us, as we, as we go on, try to get better and better. So what was, what was originally a weakness from a good love of sex, let's say, becomes a glory. That's what Dante showed. And how can it be otherwise? Because we each have a nature. I said before at the beginning that Dante would have made a great doctor. You know, to look at the symptoms and say, this is what, this is the symptom, this is... Except he does it with our spiritual life. Doctors don't get, don't get close enough to that in, in mind. But let me stop. Any, any questions? Is that clear? Does it make sense, no? Yeah, it does. This is extraordinary because what, what's happening here in the Paradiso, he's taking away that black-white mindset. He's showing us weaknesses. What were once weaknesses in the cause of sins are now distinct, different glory. We're, what Dante's doing is affirming God's creation, the variety, the diversity, to show the glory of degrees and differences. In it. But it's all faithful to our human nature and the way it's peculiar, particular in each person. You guys wear me out. <laughs> it's mutual. <laughs> That's pretty profound. <laughs>